You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike, Pensacon, New Jersey. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. This week, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Job. Just a little bit. Also the book of Hebrews. I'll get there. But let me start in another park. Woodland Cemetery in West Philly on Woodland Avenue. I used to live on Woodland Avenue in Southwest Philly. And uh, one year I was training for the Broad Street Run, which is a 10 mile run from North Philly all the way down to the Navy Yard in in deep South Philly. And I I chose as my training route, Woodland Cemetery. If you run right along the edge of its fence, it's exactly one mile. Nice. But if you're training for a 10 mile run, and once you get up there and you're training, you gotta run around at like eight, nine, I never ran around it 10 times. I didn't run 10 miles until the day of the Broad Street Run. I got close enough, and I figured I'd make it, and I did. At the back of Woodland Cemetery, on the way back from the entrance, there's a hill. It's a tiny hill. It's barely a hill. But on mile eight, it's a terribly tall hill. And, uh... I found that when I was running around this and I just had to keep going because that's the kind of runner I am. I'm not trying to make any miles. I'm just trying to finish. Just trying to get it done what I plan to do. And so I just have to keep getting up this hill time after time again. And I developed a, a strategy that I'd like to offer to you. Or, or I, I had some insight into a bad strategy more so. Looking up to the top of the hill is a terrible idea when you're just barely making it. Am I, how much longer do I have to go? You know this feeling. It's not just for runners, right? <laughs> you know this feeling. How much further do I have to go? I found that if I looked down and tried to get one foot in front of the other, I'd have a, a nicer time making it up the hill. It seemed like I could make it up the hill regardless, but it felt terrible. Uh, it felt more terrible when I was straining to see how, how much longer I had to go. Another example, yesterday I was in Rancocas State Park. Anyone ever been to Rancocas State Park? I almost came by your house, Pat. What would have happened if I had stopped by and just wanted to yell at you? Oh, so you might not have been there. So I was at Rancocas State Park. There's a 3.2 mile loop that I convinced my family to go on. My family includes a six-year-old and a nine-year-old who likes to whine and a 37-year-old woman who is not an outdoorsy person. Somehow I convinced them to go on this hike. And this hike was terrible in one way. On the Blue Trail at Rancocas State Park, every quarter mile, there's a mile marker. So you know how far you've gone and how much further you have to go. This, I don't know, in some circumstances, this might be good. Like if you're going to turn around, like you say, okay, we've gone 0.75 miles. We only want to hike a mile and a half. That's great. I'm glad there's a marker so I know how far I've gone and I can turn around. But if your plan is to go all 3.2 miles, it's a terrible thing to have. Because you, because your six-year-old's like, how much further every quarter mile? Every, every, every six minutes. It's like, oh, here's another one. Thank God. How much further do we have to go? Or how about less outdoorsy example? How about when you're watching a Netflix and you pause it? Okay, because you have to go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden, you know that there are only 12 minutes left in the show or the movie. 
And you were completely engrossed until your body interfered. And, and now you know, oh, this is going to get wrapped up in 12 minutes? How is that even possible? This, this movie sucks. You know? I don't, I, I don't know what's going on. Or it's worse if you pause it and you think, wow, I hope they're finishing this up. And there's still 90 minutes left. You know, time becomes an enemy of the art. You know? If you, if, that's one of the reasons why, why going to the movie theater is actually a good idea. If you're actually like cinema. So that you are subject to the film itself. The happening, uh, the experience of it is not something that you are controlling. And if you give yourself to the art of the cinema, I guarantee, just from an, uh, an amateur like liker of it, it'll be a better experience for you. But that's hard to do. You might just give up. You might just turn it off. You might just pull out your phone for those last 12 minutes and just, you know, surf Facebook and kind of whatever. This, this has to finish. I guess I'm going to finish it. But persevering through a seemingly endless pandemic, through parenthood, <laughs> through uh, Monday, <laughs> all of these things, when we're always looking to the end of something, it doesn't make it any better. We're always looking to, when, we're, when we encounter some difficulty, if, even if it's little, as little as liking and, and being involved in a film, we lose something of the experience when we're just wondering when it's going to be over. And I don't think it actually feels better to know at all. And the thing is, for real life stuff, like the big stuff, like a pandemic or parenting or having a life with God or having a closer walk with Jesus, we can't know. We can't know at all. And we're always on this journey and never arriving. And that could feel terrible if you really want to arrive and you think that's the point. My goal is to help you change your mind about that. Maybe it'll happen today. I actually don't think it will because this is so deeply embedded in us, this, this straining towards the top of the hill. God promises us an end to our suffering. God does. Someday. And longing for that day is not a bad thing. Longing for the day when there are no more tears, no more suffering, that is the promise of Jesus. But when you're in the thick of it, when, just like when you're running up a hill or walking on the trail, keeping a family together, keeping a family safe and neighbors safe in a pandemic, or, or trying to raise well-adjusted, Jesus-loving children, or even just trying to get through a rough day, just like all of those things, it is not always very useful when you're in the thick of it to know how much closer we are to the end in every moment, at every mile marker. And in the grand scheme, we can't, we can't know in that measure the minutes or miles kind of way. We, we, don't, we don't know in that way ever of like, this is specifically what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, how long it's going to take. That's not how our life works. That's not how God made our life to work. And I think that it helps often to just forget about the top of the hill for a bit. Look down and take the next step. Essentially, I think that's what the book of Job in the Old Testament 
and the book of Hebrews in the New Testament are all about. When you're in the thick of it, what does it look like to keep taking the next step? How do we keep walking in faith? How do we persevere? Job's story is famous. A very faithful man loses everything, and his friends come around him, console him for a day, and then spend 34 chapters explaining to him how terrible he is and how he's done something wrong to deserve this. It reflects some of the most basic calcul moral calculation uh, of the universe. It's present in almost every religion, and it's present here in the Old Testament and elsewhere. It seems that the calculus is that we know this to be true. Everything happens for a reason, and it's usually you. Job's friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite expound on everything they know about how the world works and how God works and how Job works and how they work. And they measure the distance to the top of the hill and the rest of all of conventional wisdom. They chart it out. They know exactly how everything works. And what they say, it's not all bad. You know, I'm, I'm kind of lampooning them a little bit here because I don't think that they know everything. They're not, but they're not idiots. So the task of measurement and, and philosophy and trying to figure stuff out, it's not all bad. It just doesn't work to make you feel any better most of the time. What does God, who cares about us, God who is infinitely power and inf infinitely loving, what does, what does he do for Job in the middle of his mess? In the middle of the worst day of Job's life, how does God show up? Here it is, Job 38, 1 through 7. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you? When I laid the earth's foundation, tell me, if you understand, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. That's how he starts. It seems that there's something missing in human knowledge. There's something about this measurement that the, the friends of Job have that is not cutting it. It continues for four chapters of beautiful poetry of God delighting in his creation. Here, let me just give you a little bit more. This is another part I really liked. Job 1, 19 through 33. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the path to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You had lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm 
to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whom, from whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellation in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? I, I, I really could have just made my, my message today, Job chapter 38 through 41. Because <laughs> I think we really need, we need this message. We need to be put in our place in a good way. Here's, here's Job's response in 42, 2 through 3. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You can be put in your place by God's majesty. And it can go like this. You can get put in your place. Or you can be put right in your place. You see the difference? You got put in your place, got owned, destroyed. Is that what God's doing here? I don't think so. I don't think that's who God is. I think God is putting you right in your place, just like all those other things that are just too wonderful for us to know. All those rhetorical questions that we don't know the answers to. Even though science has progressed a lot since this long, long time ago, we still don't know it all. We found new places that are impossible to know. Quantum physics, dark matter, you know, those are, that's the micro and the macro of things we don't understand. But you can be put right in your place. You can rage against the hill for existing, try to contain it, measure it, crane your neck, so you can understand and control this reality of your suffering. Or you can be right where you are. Here I am running up this hill, putting this foot in front of this foot. Asphalt under my feet. This is what I have to do right now. This right here. And that can be said in two different ways too. This is what I have to do. I have, I have to. Or it could be, this is what I have to do. Like this is what I've been given. This is, this is the thing that I have right now. It's the thing that I do understand. I can hold this thing right here, like this step. And that's enough to have. Because what I, the reason I need to have something is so I can do something. So this is what I have to do. This right here. And there's always something that we understand. It doesn't have to be novel. It doesn't have to be new. It might be the same thing as what you did just a second ago. Take another step. There is no top of the hill at the apex of human knowledge. 
You will not arrive at the top by your own understanding. There is something more. There are things too wonderful for you to know. And that can be terrible or that can be wonderful. But I can tell you, brothers and sisters, that there is satisfaction in trusting that next step. There is hope that connects you to that top of the hill. Almost every day there are moments when these steps, they don't seem to clearly connect with anything beyond just the treasury of it, the slog. It doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere, but trust me, trust God. If you take the next step, it's going somewhere. The knowing that is available to us that connects us to like some cosmic top of the hill, to the promise of the day of the Lord when, when the, the crying and the suffering is no more. That's a different kind of knowing. And it's based on trust, not some kind of apprehension, some kind of controlling. Doing the next thing we have to do is essentially that we're, we could be bounding from one top of a hill to the next in each step. Being able to just take the next step, do the next thing that you know you've been given to do is the way to get to the end. And it's not up to you when that end is. We're readjusting our sights. We're not trying to contain it all. We can't contain it all. The hope of mastery is a lie. You will not be able to know it all. There are things too wonderful for you to know. But by the Spirit, we are giving many things that can be done, many steps that can be taken. Here's Hebrews. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here we are, right here, right now, taking the next step, meeting together despite the difficulty. Here we are right now, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. Here we are not giving up. The day is approaching the day of the Lord, the ultimate hilltop, which we know will come, but craning our necks to know when and how it will be is fairly fruitless. Yes, Jesus is coming back, but our only duty is to be where God has placed us, doing what we have been given to do, taking the next step when he shows up, whenever that is. He asks us to just be taking the next step. He tells quite a few parables about that, which I could expound on at another time. Here's more from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author of Hebrews is writing to us. 
we who are often weary and in danger of losing heart. In that moment, fix your eyes on Jesus, not on the top of the hill, not the end of the pain. Take the next step with him. He is with you, whether you're with him or not. Let me end with just a little bit of practicality. I hope that I've inspired you to to know what you can know and find joy in the fact that there are indeed things too wonderful for us to know, that there is more to this big mess than we can understand, and that's okay because God cares for you, has a place for you among all the millions and billions. And Jesus, who, who has experienced similar human pain, is with us now as we keep running the race marked out for us. But what is the next step? Even in my own small life, what shall I do? This is a very excellent question to ask. And it's easier to answer if we don't have to have an answer for everything else first. Here's my tip. You can start. What am I to do? Do what you decided to do. Make a decision to do something every day that you think can help you to to know and enjoy God. You don't have to be right. Actually, what you do, I don't think matters that much. But that you do something that you decided to do with the intention of connecting to God. That's the next step. And do it every day. There are many tried and true methods, and all of them are probably good enough, but only if you do them. Having to do it all, know it all, obscures knowledge, it blocks the view. Do one thing, do it every day. Keep at it. Ken Shigematsu, whose book we're focusing on, calls this a rule. The book is called God and My Everything. Making regular space for God in your life will reveal God in your life because God is in your life, okay? You don't have to muster that. You don't have to make that. You don't have to contain that. You don't, there's no top of the hill where you get to, now God will be in my life. No, God is in your life. So if you make space, I promise God will be there. And how you will experience that will, will be amplified by the repetition by taking one step after the other, reclaiming your time from all the other rules that rule us and taking the steps that you decide to take will bear wonderful fruit. Forget about everything for a minute and just do something. Stop doing everything and just do one thing. And it's the doing. I think Jesus makes this clear. It's the doing that will reveal more than all the ideas, all of the great explanations, even the the best poetry, which I love, and I I hope those kind of words transcend. But even that, it's the doing that helps you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay, I'm going to do this. Being unswerving requires moving.
requires taking the next step. And in that doing, I think you will see more than you thought was possible. Some of that that is too wonderful right now for you to know can be known as you move step by step towards him. Let me pray for us and then you can talk back. Father, help us to keep our eyes unswervingly on the task that you've given us. Help us to move in the way that we've decided to go as best we can discern. Give us the time, the understanding of our time, the perseverance, the organization, the victory over laziness, the, the, the peace of mind to let the other things go, the trust that everything else will get done, the heart to keep at it when we're tempted to lose heart, Fix our eyes on your son, Jesus, who showed us what it means to be human, what it means to love, and help us to do likewise. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.